The Autistica podcast covers the topics that you want to hear. Our autistic presenters bring together scientists, professionals and experts by experience to discuss autism facts, theories and personal stories. We include a broad range of views and informally chat about new or unfinished research, so don't take everything that you hear as a fact. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts or Spotify. To hear more, just subscribe and we would love it if you left us a review. Welcome to the Autistica podcast. In this episode, Laura chats to author Catherine May. They talk about their experiences of the publishing industry, writing a memoir while autistic and autistic culture. There are two things that I should tell you about this episode. Number one, very important, it contains a spoiler about the film Sixth Sense. It's an old film, but just in case you've been saving it, I thought I should warn you. The second is that the interview was recorded pre-lockdown in a very busy cafe, so there's quite a bit of background noise. I've tried to break it up by putting music in between some questions, so hopefully it won't be too difficult to listen to, and hopefully it won't make you too nostalgic for your favourite coffee shop and your fancy coffee if it's been a while since you've been able to have it. Um, Catherine kicks things off by telling us about her latest book, Wintering. Yeah, so Wintering is a book about uh, the fallow periods in life um, and, and how they're actually very valuable even though they're gruelingly painful at the time. Um, so, I mean, I think you know, from an autistic perspective, I think autistic people really do endure a lot of winterings. We, we yeah. spend a lot of time kind of falling through the cracks in life. Um, and I kind of felt like it was time to assert my expertise in that because I began to see the shape of those periods and, been, you know, been able to talk about them as a, a process that happens and I actually I suppose I've learned over my 42 years um, that I always get something out of them at the end of the process there's yeah. always there are they're always a point of transition and those transitions are, are really really hard to go through but that actually you come out with something different at the other end and it's, it's a book about that um, using metaphors of nature wintering so there's hibernating dormice and there's northern light and there's trees dropping Did you go and see the Northern Lights? I did, yes, in Tromso, oh, yeah. yeah. I really <laughs> want to do that. Mm. It's absolutely beautiful, but it's not how you think it's going to be, because whenever you see footage of the Northern Lights on the telly, it's always been sped up. Oh, yeah. I see. And any photograph you see is always a long exposure photo, because they're so pale in real life, yeah. you can actually see the stars through them. Wow. So in order to capture them on camera, you, you can't capture them with your iPhone, you can't capture them with a normal shutter speed, you have to do a long exposure. And so your expectation of what the Northern Lights are going to be is completely subverted as soon as you see them, but then they become this very mysterious, magical thing that you have to almost get your eye in to see yeah. them. got your autism diagnosis late yes yeah. and then you wrote a memoir about it yes <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. and I probably am one of the people who uniquely understands how that feels yeah um, and did you so did you kind of plug into autistic culture do you think have you ever because I'm not sure I have I mean I have my autistic little twitter kind of gang going yeah on. yeah I think that's true I I mean I think autistic culture is actually really diverse I mean yeah. I you know we tend to think about it as one thing but actually you can you can detect sort of flavours of it almost yeah. um, and I think you know there, there is a kind of vision of autistic culture that I don't really understand very well which are the kind of um, 
the interest in uh, kind of quite bright cartoony colours. Yes, and, and the hair. The yeah, the hair. hair. I can't be bothered to do that. Do you think it's the that. young people? I, maybe it is, yeah, maybe it's people. Yeah. I don't think it always is, though, actually. No, I don't think it does. It, it does lend people an air of use, which perhaps I should yeah. take on, I don't know. No, no, me too, yeah, definitely. <laughs> But yeah, there's, you know, and, and then there's the kind of real geek culture. I have a husband who's very, very geeky Is your husband autistic? Uh, he, he's kind of on the borderline, I would say. He tests on the borderline. He's got right. some definite, um, you know, autistic features, but he's also got some parts of him that are less... Yeah. He finds the world less difficult than I do, essentially. Yeah. Um, so, how, yeah. so, so how did the, how did, um, the Electricity of Every Living Thing come around? Um, it was supposed to be a completely different book, actually. I was trying to write a book about motherhood and my very difficult response to it. Um, and I started to blog about this walk that I undertook. I decided that what I really needed to do was get some time on my own. I was absolutely yeah. desperate for just some independence and some time in my own head, I suppose. Um, and I had this indefeatable urge to walk the southwest coast path. Um, so I, st- I decided that I couldn't go and walk it all in one go, which is what a lot of people do. They take six weeks out yeah. of life and they work their way round. Like, there was no way I could do that. I couldn't afford it. I couldn't have the time out. I yeah. couldn't leave my son, obviously. Yeah. He was three. Um, so I agreed with my husband that we would go once a month to, uh, to the southwest and I'd walk 24 miles a month for 18 months. And that would take me up to my 40th birthday at the time. And I thought, I've got it all organised. Um, and nearly as soon as I started doing that I realised first of all that I couldn't necessarily walk that far in a weekend I couldn't necessarily get down there every weekend it was really hard but also it it began this process of realising that there was something more going on than just me struggling a little bit with motherhood and I I felt like it it led me by the nose to an autism diagnosis almost like Like, the universe kind of giving it to you yeah I I mean, it just opened up the reflective space, I suppose, yeah. that let me, that opened my mind up to some to messages that I didn't want to hear. Yeah. Um, and quite soon into the process, I heard a radio show where a woman was talking about what it was like to be an autistic woman, specifically. Yeah. And I just had this absolutely earth-shattering moment of revelation yeah. that that was me. And, you know, I my degree is partly in psychology, I have worked with autistic children repeatedly over the course of my career. I have worked with autistic adults. I have autistic people in my family. Never once had it occurred to me that I was autistic. I know, I know. I totally get that. (laughs) For me, um, after my diagnosis, it was like the end of the sixth sense. You know when he kind of goes around the house and thinking he was dead? It's like every flashback yeah. of like, oh my god, that's why I did that. Yeah. Oh, that's why this happened. That's why that happened. Yeah. Did you spend like a couple of years reimagining your memories? Like, that's what that meant then? <laughs> yes. And I looked at my childhood photos and I was just like, oh my god, how the hell did nobody notice? Yeah. 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 I mean, it just wasn't available. I mean, my mum read my book when it, you know, when it came out and... She was really worried about reading it. Yeah. And she eventually she said, "I'm going to take my time." And she and then she said, "I just want to say that I knew something was going on, but there was absolutely there was no, no way of knowing." Yeah. And I know she tried as well. Yeah. I know she was constantly wheeling me down to the doctors. Yeah, my my mum too because I, I had BDS as well. Mm. So mm. I, my mum was con- and she was just written off as neurotic. Yeah. So was my mum. Yeah, yeah. We've had we've had the conversation about our mums being shamed, haven't we? Yeah. That, you know, my mum was treated terribly by doctors who thought she was needy you know who who just thought she was I don't know trying to get attention for herself
process of writing as an autistic woman different to the process of writing books before? Um, oh, that's a really interesting question and it's got loads of answers because in many ways I think, you know, one of the one of the pure expressions of my autisticness was my writing. It always yeah. has been that kind of, um, not just the ability to sink deep into a topic and to chase it to its bitter end, but the need to do that and the kind of the physicality of that need almost, the way that I can't not do it. You know, the number of times I've tried to settle down and get a sensible job and I get led back into this practice of writing because it's what my brain absolutely needs to do. So in that sense it didn't change, but I think I am still in the middle of a transition in terms of thinking about myself as a writer and what I am and I'm not willing to do. I yeah. think that's changed. Um, and I don't Do you mean what you are and are not willing to give of yourself or there is that. I mean I you know, I, I did have to reflect a number of times that you know, when I was in the process of talking about electricity to audiences that actually even with very autism positive audiences I am required to mask in, in order to do the um, publicity I suppose yeah. you'd call it in the industry but you know the, the sort of sharing of that work. It's an essential component of the way that we talk about our books that you're required to disguise your needs as an autistic person almost. So I have yeah. to reflect on that an awful lot. But I suppose what I'm thinking about more is that, um, you know, I've always tried to present a very willing face towards my industry, you know, towards editors and agents. So yeah, of course I'll do that. Of course I'll try that. Um, and I, I feel like I'm beginning to come to the point where I'm really at refusal point to write books that are masking my autism. Yeah. But also which are squashing down even yeah. when I'm even when I'm writing as an autistic person that are, you know that I'm often I feel like I'm required to deny that in some sense and to meet a more neurotypical audience halfway. Yeah. Um, and I'm inching my way towards complete resistance of that and I, I, I think that's been a that's been a real process for me in the last couple of years actually thinking about what books I want to write next in terms of fiction um, I'm probably going to about to be way too honest about this but you know my my last work of fiction which were high tide swimming club is a really unautistic book and it got commissioned because it's an unautistic book if yeah. I'd have written that as a more autistic book I'd have struggled to get it published much more yeah and I feel like I wrote it when I was on the cusp of understanding that I was autistic and I was writing it in the kind of wake of a bomb blast of yeah. misunderstanding about myself um I can't do that again yeah. I can't do that again but of course that makes my books a lot more a lot less appealing to a general audience that's really is that lot. true though with with um with fiction though because books where a character is either autistic or could be said to be autistic seem to be doing pretty well. They are doing well when they're written by non-autistic authors. Interesting. With a very, in my opinion anyway, with a very kind of specific view of what autism is, which I think is often heavily skewed yeah. actually. And often quite mythological, you know, this yeah. kind of mythological kind of 
quiet white autistic boy. Yeah, or um, the slightly kind of manic pixie dream girl. Yeah, manic pixie. Oh yeah, I mean, I'd be allowed to write them. I'm not going to do that. I absolutely refuse. Um, yeah. And I, you know, I mean, I work in scouting as well. Like, yeah. I, you know, I supplement my writing in uh, income with um, literary scouting work, and we are still getting books pitched as, you know, either like the next curious incident, or with these kind of identical characters that are named as autistic in the blurb, and they're not. Like, I think it's really easy when you see autism portrayed mm. to think it's all kind of in a, in a girl, to think it's all kind of cute quirks and dungarees yeah. kind of thing, yeah. and it's just adorable. Yeah. But you know, if you're in a relationship with somebody who has an epic shutdown at a crucial point, absolutely. You know, we never see those things absolutely. portrayed. I mean, that's a lot of what I wrote about in Electricity of Everything Thing was really about living in a marriage where one yeah. of you is going through a lot of those things yeah. and how love still operates. Yeah. Um, it's not romantic because I'm not a very no. romantic person, but um, it is about love and yeah. the machinations of love and how yeah. we are still loved and we still find love. And I think that's such an important message because actually totally agree. the whole of society is set up to say we're unlovable and, and that's just, it's just not true. It's, no. a, it's a violent lie, actually. I think, it, I think you're totally right. If you're autistic, a family member, a researcher, or you work with autistic people, you can join the Autistica Network. The network is the UK's autism research network run by Autistica. You'll get email updates about the latest research and you'll hear about studies that you can take part in. By working together and sharing knowledge, we can make real progress for autistic people. Find out more at autistica.org.uk.